Today's episode is sponsored by Henny and Rue. Henny and Rue is a monthly subscription box made by a chicken keeper for chicken keepers. Each month, the box typically includes poultry first aid items, new treats and coop products, and a fun gift for us, the chicken keepers. The May box is all sold out, but we got a sneak peek at the June box, and it's including an adorable book called Chicken Wisdom by Melissa Coffey that contains 50 interchangeable cards, each with a special message and an entertaining chicken photo. So go to honeyandrue.com to sign up today and make sure you use code DRINKANDFARM to save 10% off your first box. Oh, hey, Bev. What you drinking today? I just opened a Schlafly. I think I pronounced that right. <laughs> Schlafly. I realize I don't I, I don't know anything about this beer. I've had like a 24 pack of this in my beer fridge. I don't even know where it came from. And I was like, well, I haven't drank this on a podcast yet. So let's be brave and give it a try. <laughs> and it's a raspberry Hefeweizen. And, you know, I'm kind of surprised I hadn't tried it before now because I just looked at the bottle cap and it says that it was made with 100% renewable energy. Oh, so, wow. If the beer's good, this is totally up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you open over there? So I opened a Black Rocks Bach. It has a goat on the can. Which is why I bought it. Like, I'm pretty sure it could have been an IPA, which I'm not a huge fan of. In it, but if it had a goat on it, I would buy it. Oh, same. It's an extra premium Munich malt. Builds up a medium body with toasty caramel notes. A touch of spicy hops rounds out this labor of love. It's pretty good. Mm. So, yeah. But I picked a goat beer because... I feel like it's kind of in line with what we're going to talk about for our episode today. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think so. So is renewable energy, I suppose. Yeah, there we go. We are so on point today. (laughs) Go us. Yes. (laughs) And welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. From hobby farmers to large-scale real-deal farmers. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and the new knowledge we gain, so hopefully you don't feel so alone in this farm thing. And sometimes we go off on tangents, all sorts of tangents. Yes. (laughs) We cut those and stick them up on the Patreon so that our episodes aren't a million years long. Yes. And this episode's outtakes are exclusively for our Patreon peeps. And you can become a Patreon peep at just $2 a month by going to patreon.com slash drink and farm. Yes. And I just noticed today we're actually getting kind of close to one of our Patreon goals. Ooh. Ah. And what's that goal? (laughs) 
It's a really important goal. It's the one that allows us to have enough money for a month to hire a Steven. <laughs> yes. And we need that. We do. So bad. <laughs> yes. Because, guys, that means if we can hire a Steven, we can do more mini-isodes. We might be able to do some other fun extra for you guys, things for you guys, because Bev won't be stuck doing the painful job of editing all the episodes and listening to the episodes a couple times. I don't know how she does it, but we need a Steven. <laughs> I do it with a beer in my hand. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and our drink peep this episode is our friend Ashley Kiernan, which is at Ashley Kiernan over on the Instagram. So cheers, lady. Cheers. Do we still have a drink sponsor spot open as well? Oh, we totally do. Yes. yes. So you can get a special shout out every month, just like our friend Ashley, um, by going to patreon.com slash drink and farm. And we have a, a level where you can buy our beer for the episode. Yeah, it's a good one. Yes. So we have a bit of follow up. Yes, we do. We're just like building on these pandemic projects, aren't we? We really are. They're out of control. (laughs) Now that this is going on for so long, I feel like we can't just call them pandemic projects anymore. Now we're just adding to the farm at a ridiculous rate. I don't know. I feel like as non-politically correct as it might be to say pandemic project, like I can't decide if that's PC or not. I personally am not a very PC person, so I don't care. So I want people to know when we call it that. That is not meant to be, like, lighthearted or offensive by any means. Um, (laughs) But I realize that people are really, really sensitive in general right now, and they pop off a lot easier. So I just want to make that clear. Um, But I do think we're fully embracing the situation and kind of taking lemons and turning them into lemonade or putting eggs in an incubator and hatching ducks. Because that's what we're both doing right now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I'm so excited about it. This is going to be my first waterfowl poultry. I mean, assuming anything actually hatches. Because <laughs> I don't exactly have the best track record with the incubator. <laughs> I mean, you've done pretty okay, though. Yeah, I've done okay. I realized, though, this morning, like, while I was doing my egg rotating and, like, checking off my thing on my little... I used my honey and rue calendar again for Mm. this hatch Mm -hmm. so that I could, like, keep track of whether it was X's or O's on top at bedtime, how many times I turned them and all of that stuff. Uh, And I don't know that I necessarily have the personality for hatching because I'm just so impatient. Like, I candled (laughs) them all yesterday, even though I know that at day three... There's yeah, there's nothing, nothing to see for duck <laughs> eggs. So at first I was like candling them and I was like, oh, oh no, I don't think these are fertile. And Jared pops around the corner and he goes, they're duck eggs. They take seven days longer. It probably takes longer to see something. I was like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I find too that what's helped me with the longer hatches, because ducks and goslings take about at least seven days longer. I have to mark on the calendar too, like what days to start misting, what days to that I can candle, and what days I have to lock down because that extra week or so feels like an eternity. 
Oh, I bet. Yeah, I did write down what days to do lockdown. I didn't think to write down what day to start missing because you missed duck eggs also, right? Correct. And I think okay. I saw like day seven. Okay. You start doing So I haven't that. missed it yet. <laughs> no. So we're both still good. When did you put your duck eggs in? I put them in on Saturday night. Us too. Oh, hey. <laughs> And what kind of ducks are you hatching? We're hatching call ducks. So they're the tiny ones. And I think we're going to have, we have five right now. We have three males and two, three males and two females. So we really need to get rid of two males. So (laughs) they might be going to auction or to one of my friends that wants them. Um, Because my husband just, well, he put 10 eggs in because he's excited about these hatching. I'm just here for the ride. <laughs> oh, so your husband did this one. <laughs> yes, he did. But he put 10 in there. And then the past couple of days, he's been putting more in. Like, oh. as the ducks lay them. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, if these all hatch, like, that is a lot of call ducks. It's going to be like 13, 14 call ducks. Now, oh my the likelihood that they'll all hatch and survive is not that great. But even if it's like 80%, that's like 10 call ducks. We, do, we don't have... We would have to build another enclosure. <laughs> <laughs> well, he put him on, so that means that he has to volunteer to yes. help build that thing. But I'm also trying to be nice because he is building me a new goose house, and I didn't even really ask for it. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, I love it. But yeah, so what kind of ducks are you hatching? So we're hatching Pekin ducks. Did Ooh, I pronounce that right? Yes, yes, you did. Okay, they're the cute little quintessential white ducks. Now, are you going to butcher them or are you going to keep them as pets? We're going to keep them as pets. Okay. Um, but those are the kind of ducks that I helped uh, farm to table mama butcher. She's the one that taught me how to do like processing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the kind of ducks that we processed. So, yeah, interesting how it goes full circle like that. Maybe eventually if they lay really well or end up with enough like female ducks, I could incubate and hatch and raise for meat. But I don't know. I'm not really sure that I really like duck all that much. That's like, fair. Like as a protein source. That's fair. So um, I think it's okay. But it just like it requires a more specific preparation. Kind of like rabbit requires a more specific preparation in order to make it good. So I don't know. Like I feel like my life is hard enough as it is. So <laughs> I try to stick with like easy to prepare things. You might feel differently <laughs> if you have a bunch of duck dick dragging across your yard though because I am starting to see a lot of it because it's spring and I'm about to take some of them to auction too. <laughs> yeah. And so if we get to that point, then maybe. But we only put in six eggs. Okay. So like at an 80% hatch rate, I'm only looking at like having four. Yeah. So or five maybe. So yeah. And then if you have a lot of boys, then you can always order sexed ducklings from my pet chicken to even things out too. Oh, good idea. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent idea. I'm just helping expand your farm with all these great ideas. <laughs> right. And speaking of My Pet Chicken, I actually got my My Pet Chicken chicks Yay. in. You got yours super fast. I did. Mine came next day. Yeah. But they were shipped from Ohio. So that kind of makes sense. Yes. And I it is almost five o'clock on Wednesday. And I got an alert that mine were in Grand Rapids at like one thirty, 
So I'm feeling like I'm probably not going to get them today. But hopefully, like, first thing tomorrow morning, I'll get a call and be able to go in and get them. Yeah. But their brooder is all ready. And, like, I had total chick envy yesterday when you posted that on your Instagram stories. I was like, oh, my God, I want mine right now because they're, they're <laughs> so cute. Oh, my gosh, they are. And I have to take a picture of the new carrots. I haven't posted the new carrots. The new carrots is ridiculous. Aww. Like, she's, like, the tiniest little thing ever. And it was so funny when I open the box, so I pick them up and I bring them home and I've got them on the kitchen counter and I open the box. Aurora just like reaches right in there and picks up a chick like immediately. And she goes, this is mystical. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's the new mystical. And I'm peeking in and I'm like, why do I only see six chicks? I swear there were supposed to be eight in here. So I kind of poke around a little bit and carrots, which is the little middle floor. And I got a silky. It'll be my first silky chick. They're so tiny compared yeah. to the standards. They were just like hiding out under there. I was like, oh, there's the new carrots. (laughs) I love that that one is carrots. That is so perfect. Yeah, it really is. It's going to be a lot of fun. And it was hilarious when I picked up the little carrots. One of the other ones, I can't remember which one it was, jumped out of the box. (laughs) So Aurora's holding mystical. I'm holding carrots. And this chick just like dive bombs out of the box. I'm like, and I just like caught it like midair. Oh, my God. (gasps) I'm like, put the lid back on because <laughs> like it was their kitchen counter height. I'm like, yeah. what are you guys trying to do if you would hit the floor? Oh, my God. It would have been catastrophic. I cannot believe that I was able to catch her. <laughs> it's a miracle. Did you name that one miracle? Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe I should. I don't know which one it was, though. Now. Or lucky. <laughs> lucky. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Yeah, we still have six to name, I think. I saw one. <laughs> was one named Kitten? Oh, yes. Aurora named the uh, silked white Easter egger kitten. <laughs> I love her, her naming. Like, I do, too. It's wonderful and childlike and still accurate because a silky <laughs> Easter egger. I could see that being a kitten. Uh, I can, too. Like, she's going to be like a soft, white, like, cute little fluff ball. Yeah, so. soft like a kitten. Totally appropriate. She lost interest, though, really fast. So we still have more to name. I'm waiting, though, because I'm going to try to talk her into just naming the rest of them because she's so good at it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um. Oh, yeah. But I wanted to tell everybody really quick how cool they were packaged because, like, I've never seen a heating pad inside the bottom of a box that ships chicks before. So I was like, this is, like, hardcore, real deal, like, awesome packaging. Yeah. And... Before we got on, you told me that, and I've gotten stuff from my pet chicken in April the past two years, and I don't think it came with that, but now that I'm thinking about it, like, I never, like, really investigated the box. So maybe there was something under there, and I just never realized it. So now I'm going to have to, like, double check and look at mine to see if maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention, because what would happen... Previously was I'd have the cute little box. I'd open it up. I would put them in the brooder in my bathroom. And then the box would just sit there for like months in my bathroom because it had all the like breed names on it and like the colored (laughs) bands. So like I just refer back to that if I got confused and then it would just kind of sit there because our bathroom's pretty big. And I'll admit like I am not. Like, I don't like a lot of clutter, but I'm also not a clean freak. So if it's not bothering me and it's just sitting there, it's going to sit there. <laughs> so, 
So I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah. I actually felt very comfortable when I came over to your house for the first time because it felt like what my house would look like if you came over to mine. Like it was clean, but it wasn't like spotless. Like oh, I didn't yeah. feel like I couldn't sit anywhere. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I felt very co- like cozy and comfortable and it was still clean, but not like Sam feels like a slob and needs to deep clean her house before Bev comes over. <laughs> no. I, yeah, I'm I'm so distracted by so many things like cleaning is usually on the bottom of my list. Although I am currently looking at my bed and it's not made and it's upsetting me because it's <laughs> been something that I've been doing. And I'm like, how did I skip that this morning? Oh. Well, remember, I think it was near the new year. Remember we had that talk, like be the person, like tell yourself, I am the kind of person that makes my bed. Yeah, and I literally had that conversation with myself this morning because I had not been doing it. So I feel like we're living <laughs> parallel lives right now. <laughs> so I have been doing it, and when I didn't this morning, I'm like, "This is odd. What was wrong with me this morning?" <laughs> oh, but if anybody needs any chicks, go to mypetchicken.com/slash/drinkandfarm, and that supports the podcast, and you get awesome poultry yes. out of it. So it's like a win-win. Pandemic poultry. just remember that after the pandemic you will still have chickens or ducks or geese that you need to take care of because we will eventually go back to normal you'll eventually have a social life again but that doesn't mean the animals that you get during this time will go away so i think that is something that is important to throw out there too yes that is an excellent point all right so i think we can get into our episode Yes, yes, we sure can. So I picked the goat beer because today we're going to talk about compost. Yeah. And goats poop a lot. (laughs) They sure do. They create a lot of material that you can compost. (laughs) Yes. And in fact, farms in general, or honestly, life in general, it doesn't matter like how big or small your property is, as long as you have a yard of some kind, you can typically create enough waste that can become compost and compost is really funny like so if compost was on Facebook and I had to have a relationship status with compost Uh it would be it's complicated Mm, I think mine would be like in an open relationship (laughs) because it's there (laughs) but like you can do whatever you want yeah and I'm not doing very much (laughs) (laughs) so i've tried lots of different methods for composting and done a lot of different things with composting i can't say that i've been the most successful at it because i'm a pretty hands-off composter but i do know all the ins and outs of how compost works And I've tried several systems, so I can tell everybody about the different systems that I've tried. And I have a new one that I'm getting ready to set up that I think is going to be more successful for me because it's more my style. Okay. Well, I'm interested to hear because all we do is kind of like spread it out in an area and I don't do anything to it. And I know I should and I haven't used it and it's just still sitting there. So I'm excited (laughs) to listen to what you found out because I did not read these notes in detail because I wanted to be surprised. (laughs) So that actually is a method of compost. Oh, we shall discuss that later. So I'm on (laughs) to something. You are on to something. (laughs) So 
what compost basically is, is it's fancy garden dirt that's made out of stuff that you can avoid sending to the landfill. Yay! Which is super important. Yes. yes. If you can manage this into your lifestyle, it it will not only help your garden, but it also helps the world. So it's a win-win. Yes, because what some people don't realize is that when you put organic matter that would normally go into compost into a landfill, what happens is it doesn't break down properly because of the anaerobic activity that happens in a landfill. Anaerobic, it doesn't have oxygen in it and oxygen is needed in order for things to break down properly. So instead of breaking down into compost, it lets off methane gas, which is not good. No. (laughs) No bueno. So composting is a good thing if you can manage it. And I really loved this article uh, that I pulled to reference to like walk through like how to actually compost. It's from greenlivingpdx.com. And they broke down uh, the composting method using SMART which is an acronym we're all familiar with. Yes. (laughs) And I'm like, hey, you can be smart about lots of things. Yes, you can. (laughs) So long story short, compost is basically organic matter that has decomposed and it decomposes using like good microbes and bacteria. And the decomposition actually feeds plants and the soil and the trees and the things around your yard or your garden, which is super helpful because the plants will soak up the nutrients. It makes your plants more nutrient dense. It's all like a good, nice, happy cycle. So that's why composting is so cool. And if you've never done it before, composting can seem pretty complicated because there's like ratios you have to go through. And like you said, Sam, like, you know, you just pile it up. Like, is it doing its thing? Is it working? <laughs> like, how do I know if this is actually turning into anything? But using the SMART acronym, it will help you remember how to make compost because it is kind of hard to remember like all the different things. So hopefully this can kind of like break it down and make it easy. Let's hope. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and the first one is an S, and it's size matters. And this is probably the biggest mistake that I make in composting. So the ideal size for a backyard compost pile is at least three feet by three feet by three feet, which is one cubic yard. So you want it to be three feet wide, three feet long, and three feet deep. So that means that you need to like pile everything up into a big pile because you need that space. You need it to be piled up that high so that it can get hot enough to break down the waste that's in the middle. If your pile's really flat and not deep enough, it'll never get hot enough to like start the activity needed for breakdown. So your compost will take for forever. So that's why size matters. And also the size in the stuff that you're trying to break down matters. You want it to be less than two inches in size because that will help it break down faster. And there's some things that are like just really hard to break down. Eggshells, you'll find eggshells in there for forever, but that doesn't mean don't throw them in. That's totally fine. It's just, you know, know that you're going to find eggshells in it. Corn husks, like Mm. take for forever and corn cobs, like those are the kind of things that, you know, take like years to break down. So if you don't want to continue to sift through those things, you can remove those and start like a different pile for stuff that you're going to look at in six years and see if it broke down. Like your (laughs) long-term relationship, not your open relationship. (laughs) 
And the M in SMART stands for moisture. Compost should kind of feel like a wrung out sponge, so it should always be kind of wet. And your top layer, unless it's actually physically raining, your top layer is going to be kind of dry. So you've got to like peel your top layer back, stick your hand in, and see what it feels like. Ew. I know. <laughs> Can I wear a glove? Like... No, because you can't tell if it's wet. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Well. I guess that's one way to build up your immune system. <laughs> right? Yeah. And and you can touch your face after touching compost. No, don't, don't do that. Don't do Just that. Kidding. No, don't. Don't listen to Beth. <laughs> I'm not a doctor or a scientist. Don't touch your face after compost, though, because chances are your compost has some poop in it. Poopy. So if your compost pile is too dry underneath the top layer, you can hose it down with the hose or a watering can or whatever. Get it wet again because that will help it break down faster. The A stands for aeration because compost needs oxygen in order for the microbial activity to work. And oxygen also helps tamp down or keep out the bad smells. Because you'll notice like if you've ever composted successfully or even semi-successfully, compost piles don't typically smell. Like Mm -hmm. they just have like a sweet earthy smell to them. They don't smell like rotting garbage. And that's a good thing. If it smells like rotting garbage, it means something has gone horrifyingly wrong. (laughs) 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 But the aeration and the way that you aerate is there's like actually like tools that you can use, like stick down in it and turn kind of like um, long thin augers or like drills. And that'll help add some air to your pile. Or you can just use a pitchfork or a shovel and turn it over every now and then. That'll kind of mix it up and add some oxygen. Um, and it helps redistribute the materials and like allow that top layer that gets really dry because it's on the outside to get on the inside so that it can get a little wet and start breaking down also. Because um, if you don't move your pile at all, the top won't be broken down, but the middle will be, which is totally fine. So we'll talk more about that later. The R stands for ratio, and the compost should have about a one-to-one ratio by volume of green, which is fresh nitrogen-rich material, and brown, which is dry carbon-rich materials. So you want that to be one-to-one. So that means for every bucket of like dry straw bedding that you pull from your goat barn, you should have a bucket of like radish tops and lettuce ends and like green things or weeds or grass clippings or, you know, whatever. So you want it to be one bucket of dry-ish brown things and one bucket of wet green things. So the T in SMART stands for turn. Basically, when you're thinking SMART, you're turning your yard and kitchen waste into good, happy, healthy compost that can be used in your garden and around your yard, which is a good thing. So you're feeding the earth instead of the landfill. It's the last one. You don't really have to do anything with it. You just get to like kind of pat yourself on the back. Pretty much. Yeah. The T <laughs> the T is your congratulations for being an awesome human. Yeah. <laughs> How's that? I like it. So uh, there are a lot of things that you can compost that you may not think to compost. Those include cotton tip swabs, um, which are the paper ones, not the plastic stems. You cannot compost plastic. It'll never break down. Dryer lint if you only wear cotton clothes. 
I'm sure there's very few people yeah, that do that. No. So I couldn't use Mylint. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> Used tissues. So next time somebody has a cold, uh, you can save all those tissues and you can compost those. Paper towels napkins, uh, your pet and human hair. So when you clean your brush out or you clean your dog or your cat brush out or your goat brush out, you can stick that in the compost pile. And hair is actually a great source of nitrogen, which is awesome because you always need nitrogen to go back into the soil. And even like shredded paper. So if you have a shredder in your office and you shred things um, like bills or statements or just, you know, things in general that you don't want the public to see, you can double shred it and compost it. <laughs> It'll make sure it never sees the light of day. Nice. So basically, if something came from the earth, it can return to the earth. Ta-da. Ta-da. So green things that can go into compost uh, are things like grass clippings, coffee grounds, fruit and vegetable scraps, fresh garden plant and hedge trimmings, deadheaded flowers, tea bags, eggshells, fresh leaves. And guys, something else you can add to your compost is all of the poop from your goats, your chickens, your cows, your rabbits, your other livestock animals totally breaks down into the compost pile. And it's perfect to help add all of the good stuff into your compost. So basically, poop is perfect. And so I've seen actually conflicting research on the coffee grounds thing um, because of what coffee is made out of or what the coffee plant is basically. It's really acidic, so it like prevents other things from competing with it as a plant. So naturally, its grounds kind of do the same thing. But I think the conventional wisdom is that nobody is making an entire pile of coffee grounds, so it's probably evenly Mm. distributed, so it's fine. I compost my coffee grounds, and I haven't like had any trouble with things growing out of my compost pile so i'm going to continue to do it and brown (laughs) things include dry leaves tissues paper towels napkins straw twigs chopped wood or wood chips hair coffee filters newspaper shredded bills cotton lint things like that and there's also some things that you should keep out of your compost pile invasive plants you don't think of that like you kind of think like oh that's a green thing so i can compost that and in fact i'm terrible i compost my invasive plants <laughs> like but usually more grow out of the pile so that's why they don't yeah. want you to compost those <laughs> yeah that would make sense crabgrass weeds that have flowered or gone to seed because the compost at your house is not going to get hot enough to kill weed seeds so if you compost uh, weeds that have gone to seed you're gonna end up with weeds in your garden so if you're okay with pulling the weeds out of your garden then do it but if you're trying to avoid having to weed a bunch just i don't know maybe make a separate pile for things like that that you don't want to end up in your garden but that like obviously you're still not going to like put on the curb and send to the landfill and in fact Around here, we have multiple ways that we dispose of things around here. Not everything goes in the compost pile. We have a spot in the woods where we throw, we call it like our woods things. Because <laughs> we don't want to compost it, but we want it to return to the earth. There <laughs> so you we go. Check it in the woods. <laughs> there you go. And you also don't want to put in diseased plants. Your home compost does not get hot enough to kill bad funguses or like powdery mildews or anything like that. So if you put a diseased plant in your compost, your next year's garden is just going to end up with that disease. You also don't want to put meat, 
bones, dairy, fats, pet waste, especially pet waste from like carnivores like your dogs and your cats, uh, charcoal or like glossy colored paper. Usually those have like some chemicals and things in it that you don't want to end up in your compost or they just aren't going to break down because of what they're made out of. So those things like meat and bones, dairy, fats, things like that, that's we throw that in the woods because the um, the wildlife will come and get it or the cats will go eat it, which is totally fine. <laughs> Sometimes the chickens. <laughs> yes, those little savages. Yes, they are savages. So uh, there are five different methods uh, that you can use to compost. We're only going to talk about three of them today because they're the three that I have some knowledge on, but I will tell you what the other two are. So the five methods are by using holding units. So that's things that actually just hold the compost still. Turning units, that would be like a rotating barrel type of compost. Heaps, which is exactly what it sounds like, a big old pile Soil incorporation, which is when you dig a hole and bury your compost stuff and then put more dirt on top of it, or worm composting. And uh, the method that you'll choose depends on how fast you want your compost, what you're going to compost, and how much work you want to put into your compost. Because with composting, there's actually a method for everybody, which is Awesome, which means everybody can compost. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) And the three methods that we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about holding units and heaps, because those are the two that I typically use, because there's two different types of holding units and then a heap that I've done. So, and uh, also this article, this is from the Missouri University Extension Office is where I got the different type of uh, composting methods from. Uh, they also listed that there are some alternatives to composting. So if you're like not really quite ready to dive in, but you want to think like, well, is there an alternative use for some of the things that I have that would normally go into a compost pile? There is. Uh, leaves, grass clippings, and chipped branches can be used as mulch around your trees, flower beds, or your vegetable gardens. And you use mulch in those areas because they help hold moisture into the soil, which will help keep it so that you don't have to water as often if you live in a place that doesn't rain every day, unlike Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Or Michigan. Freaking rains all the time here. Yeah, we're getting lots too. (laughs) Uh, or um, it also just kind of helps keep everything. Um, it can help reduce the amount of weeds that grow in your garden, too, if you mulch deep enough. So uh, that is an option if we uh, talk about these compost methods and you're like, that's still too much damn work. I'm still not going to do it. You can at least do that. <laughs> Oh, and they also wanted to make sure that everybody knew that grass clippings don't have to be collected for composting. You can leave grass clippings right where they're at as long as you only mowed no more than one third of the leaf blade. Because have you ever seen people like out there raking their grass? We have a neighbor that does it. Yeah, <laughs> I've like, seen it. It is so much work. I would never do that. <laughs> no, I wouldn't either. Your grass clippings will actually compost down and actually help feed your grass. 
But if you wait too long to mow and it's like, you know, like super crazy yeah. long and thick, it can kill the grass underneath it because it's like all clumped up and covering it and not allowing to get light and oxygen. So I guess in that case, you could rake it and use it to mulch in your garden instead. Um, but leave grass clippings behind if they're small enough. So that's my grass clipping PSA. <laughs> Okay, so the first kind we're going to talk about is holding units. And a holding unit is a container or a bin that will hold your yard and kitchen scraps until the composting is complete. And a holding unit takes from six months to two years for finished composting if you don't turn it. And if you don't turn it, that's obviously the method that takes the least amount of manual labor from you. But you're looking at the longer ends, like closer to the two years of being able to Mm. use it if you don't turn it. But you can speed that up to about six months if you turn it and aerate it. And the new method that we're going to incorporate here, it's called a wire mesh holding unit. And it's because it's inexpensive and it's easy to build. And there's a couple of different materials you can make it out of. You make it out of chicken wire, hard wire cloth. We're actually going to make ours out of four by two welded wire fencing that we have left over from a project. Oh, nice. And the holes are actually a little big for this, like hard wire cloth and chicken wire has like really small holes. So this fencing Mm -hmm. is kind of big, but I'm going to wrap it in landscaping cloth because that'll help hold the heat in as well and it's black so that'll help like suck more of the sun's rays into it so i've looked into it and this will work as a compost holding unit and basically the way that this wire mesh one is going to work is you put your wire mesh into a circle and you need about 10 feet of wire mesh so that you can make it have a three foot diameter because remember that's like your minimum Uh, amount of space that you want your compost pile to be and my fence is four foot high so we'll need to fill it all the way up to the three foot mark before it like really starts doing its thing and then what's cool about the the wire mesh like holding unit is that it just sits there and it does its thing and if you want you can pull the wire mesh circle off of it So we're not going to put like any stakes on the ground or anything. And we're not going to put anything on the bottom because we want the worms and stuff to be able to come up through the soil and into our compost. It's small enough. You can pick it up and your pile will fall out of it. And then you can dig through to the middle to like get the compost that you want. Put your circle in a different spot. And then all the stuff that didn't compost, just like chuck it into it and start over. So it's kind of like it's very... It's very right up my alley. I don't have time to like turn a lot of compost. Same. Yeah. That is like one of the reasons why I haven't taken it seriously because it just seems like something I don't want to do. Yeah. And this circle like unit, what's cool about it is A, I get to use materials that I already have on the farm. So I don't have to like buy more stuff for it. And it will speed up the process because what I've been doing is just taking too long because I can't get the height out of the way that I've been composting. So this will help like compact it down. And then I can also, I have enough space around here. I can do multiples of them. So I can fill one up, leave it, build a second one and start filling that one up. And then eventually, you know, pull off the first one, pull the stuff out of it that didn't compost and then continue and go on perpetually from there. So uh, in the show notes, there will be a link to this article from Missouri 
Um, and that will give you like the full materials list and the like real instructions for how to build this. I didn't think we really needed to go through that for this episode. <laughs> we're just the teaser. Yeah, we're just the teaser. If you really want to build one of these, the link in the show notes will give you all the directions. But really, with everything that I said, you could basically just jot down a handful of things and go do it because this one doesn't require a whole lot of fancy things. But the next kind of holding unit does. In fact, it was funny. I copy and pasted like the materials list and the instructions. I was like, I'm not going to read all that. (laughs) (laughs) It was like specific sizes of lumber and like all this hardware and stuff. I'm like, no, 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 no. People don't need that. That'll just scare the crap out of people and they'll lose their excitement and motivation because you saying that just stressed me out. (laughs) Right. It kind of stressed me out a little bit, too. But I am thinking of building one of these someday because this wood and wire three bin turning unit is a fast way to compost large amounts of yard, garden, and kitchen waste. So if you need compost in a hurry, this is the method that you want to use because basically what a three bin turning unit is, is you build three bins that are connected to each other but have the front open so that you can you know like throw stuff into it and then scoop with your shovel or your pitchfork or whatever and you throw everything into the first bin to start with and then as that starts to break down you move it into the second bin and when you turn it into that second bin you're aerating it and flipping it over and giving it all that oxygen that it needs and then you start filling the first bin while everything's cooking in the second bin. And then when you realize that it's starting to break down a little further in the second bin, you flip it over again into your third bin. And everything in your third bin is compost that's ready to be used in the garden. And everything in the first bin gets flipped over to the second bin. So that's why it's the fastest. It gets the most aeration. It gets the most stirring. So it doesn't take like forever to break down like the still pile does. Oh. Yes. So the downsides of this type of system, though, is that they require a lot of labor to build, first of all, and materials to build. But you can make them out of pallets and like stuff lying around. So like there's a materials list for this specific compost bin. And it's a really like nice, fancy, attractive compost bin. So if you're composting like in the city or in a place where people can actually see your compost bin, this might be a way to do it. Because I'm like, Maybe your HOA won't like get all over you for it. Bougie compost. I like it. Bougie compost. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Uh, the compost can be done in about three weeks to six months, depending on if you have the right ratios and you have enough heat to get going. So that is a pro for it. Um, but it does require carpentry skills and tools <laughs> to like build the bins. And there's labor involved in flipping the piles over. So you've got to be willing to go out there with your pitchfork and your shovel and flip the stuff over. So if you're not willing to do that, this is probably not the method for you. And the last one we'll talk about is the one that you do and the one that I'm currently doing. Yay. The lazy way. <laughs> yes, it is. It's heap composting. Yay. <laughs> So heap composting is actually really similar to the turning unit that we just talked about and the holding compost unit, which is the circle one that we talked about first, but it doesn't require a structure. The only thing is, is in order to heap compost, it needs to be bigger than the structure compost does. So 
your heap should measure five feet wide and three feet tall. And apparently its length can vary depending on the amount of materials used. But you, there's got to be a minimum. Like, I think you need a minimum of three feet. Otherwise, the middle just isn't going to get hot enough. Yeah. And you can turn your heap regularly or not at all. I've stuck a pitchfork into our heap and tried to turn it. I was like, F <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah. Same. Oh, my God. Timber. No. So the heap will work. It takes the longest to break down. It takes the least amount of labor, requires the most amount of space. But like you basically just to get to like, you know, back your trailer up to it and dump things yes. and keep piling things on. Um, but because you're not turning it and whatnot and you're continuing to pile things on the top, if you have too much of your like green kitchen waste, it can kind of like attract pests and things over to it to start digging through it, you know, because the food's not buried and whatnot. But I don't know. My chickens go over and turn my compost pile all the time. Oh, that's nice. It doesn't them. bother me one bit. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Mine do not. My ducks like to go over in the area where we just um, put all of the goat waste from our deep litter. And they like to <laughs> hang out. I don't know how much work they're actually doing, but they're over there a lot, just kind of hanging out. Yeah. Didn't you have some chickens like hatch some eggs in a compost pile? Yup, because we threw just whole eggs from the coop that had been sitting in the coop for too long in July. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to want to eat these because <laughs> sometimes we get lazy and forget to collect eggs. And when it's like, you know, 100 degrees outside for a couple days in a row, I'm like, eh, we'll just throw them in the compost pile. But this broody little bitch was watching and she disappeared and I didn't notice because we have so many chickens. <laughs> and we have like three that look exactly the same. Um, yeah, and then she came back with seven chicks. So that's break hilarious. your eggs open. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want them to hatch. Yeah, just in case. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed this talk about composting. I'd really love to try worm composting someday, yeah. but I'm a little intimidated to like start that without like yeah. a, a system, if that makes any sense. Totally. Since my experience is just heap. I figured like a container is actually the next best step. <laughs> but worms are just fun. <laughs> they are. They are super fun. In fact, I was just planting some stuff. I planted asparagus crowns mm. and onion sets in our garden the other day. And my Hugel culture beds, that's kind of a type of composting too, because we filled it with like kitchen compost and uh, like logs and stuff from down trees. Mm-hmm. Those beds are full of worms. Nice. So I guess I am technically vermicomposting, just not intentionally. There you go. <laughs> I was in there digging around to plant stuff and I was like, oh, sorry, worms. I don't mean to disturb you. <laughs> but I got to bury these asparagus crowns like 12 inches. So Ooh. they've got super long roots. <laughs> so now it's time for We Can't Even Corner. So, Bev, I know you just talked a lot, but I feel like we should talk about yours first because it's like more of a rant than mine. And I feel like mine will just lift us back up. Yes, I fully, fully agree with that. (laughs) So, my can't even this week, it is an article from Reuters. And it's talking about something that I've seen all over social media lately. And it's talking about how chickens and pigs have had to be euthanized and crops have had to be tilled over and milk has had to be dumped because of the lack of supply need for these farming products. 
And the article that I'm going to link to is way too long for me to read. Um, and I'm not, so I'm not going to read it. Um, but I wanted to talk about it, even though it wasn't something super happy like I've been doing, because I think that it's really important because like as horrifying as all of this is and the food waste and the lives that are being lost is it's important to remember that the farmers that raised or grew that food are people that don't want to have to make that decision and I think that that's kind of been lost in the shuffle of all the sharing of these articles yeah not only is it a financial loss for them to have to call an animal or dump their milk or break their eggs or whatever. It's an emotional one too. And I think people are forgetting not just here, but in a lot of ways that we're all humans and we have emotions. (laughs) Yeah. And some of these farmers don't necessarily get a choice in it. Because they're contracted by larger companies to raise these chickens. Like, they may not actually own these chickens that are being euthanized. It may be a company that owns them. Or they may be contractually obligated to only send their milk to these specific places. So, like, there's a lot within this that, A, I don't know all the ins and outs Mm -hmm. of because that's not the type of farming I do. But it's important for everybody else to realize that, too, like, even though all of that sounds really upsetting, these are still people and we should treat them and these decisions as such. Right. So there is a small snippet that I wanted to read from the article, though, just because I feel like it kind of drove that home just a little bit. And it says... The pandemic barreling through farm towns has mired rural communities in despair, a potent mix of shame and grief. Farmers take pride in the fact that their crops and animals are meant to feed people, especially in a crisis that's idled millions of workers and forced many to rely on food banks. And now they're destroying crops and killing animals for no purpose. Farmers flinch when talking about killing off animals early or plowing crops under the ground for fear of public wrath. Two Wisconsin dairy farmers forced to dump milk by their buyers told Reuters that they had recently received anonymous death threats. They say, how dare you throw food away when so many people are hungry, said one farmer, speaking on conditions of anonymity. They don't know how farming works, and this makes me sick too. So I just wanted to talk about this as I can't even... Because I wanted to remind people to remember that unless you're a farmer that this is happening to, you don't have all the info and you should have some compassion for them, Mm -hmm. especially when discussing this on social media or with friends. And for the love of all that is holy, please do not start hoarding food because you're afraid (laughs) of the supply chain. (laughs) That, yes. Yep. And I think this just is another example of people reacting out of fear and anger because of everything going on in general. And we've talked before. It was probably almost a, it was close to a year ago where we talked about the suicide rate of farmers and yeah. how high it is. So I imagine this is negatively impacting a lot of not just their financial health, but their mental health as well. So the death threats on top of it probably aren't helping And people need to realize that they already have enough on their shoulders. They don't need you threatening their lives. (laughs) Yeah. 
because they might already be thinking of taking their own. Yeah. And I don't pretend like our food system is perfect or the way that it works is perfect. There are definitely some places where improvements can be made, but now is not necessarily the time to like attack individuals on things that they don't have control over. And I think that um, getting to know some of the like larger like contract farmers on social media is is really helpful to me personally to like help put Mm -hmm. all of that into perspective and reminds me that they're people they're people that need compassion and deserve compassion too totally so lighten this up for us sam what's your can't even this week so i found an article from newscientist.com the title is the well the i'll just talk about the study so the study was that there was an analysis of 85 animals and it revealed which is the best at holding their alcohol (laughs) so no like scientists didn't just go get these animals drunk so (laughs) so when you think of like humans chimpanzees gorillas bats and other mammals with diets that contain a lot of fruit and nectar um they're probably the best animals in the animal kingdom to metabolize alcohol um, and then the article goes on to say that fruits and nectars are rich sources of energy that many animals rely on. However, they produce ethanol by natural fermentation, mm. which can lead to alcohol concentration as high as 3.1% in nectars and 8.1% in fruits. <laughs> That'll get you drunk. hey <laughs> This means it would be benef- it was beneficial for fruit and nectar eating animals to evolve the ability to break down alcohol quickly and avoid becoming drunk. Being able to eat a lot of fruit or nectar without being subject to the uh, effects of ethanol would certainly open up an important food resource. <laughs> so to see how many animals have managed to do this, uh, the study uh, was looking at the gene called ADH7 in 85 different mammal species. ADH7 codes for an enzyme called aldehyde. Yeah, dehydrogenase. Dehydrogenase. There we go. Yeah. So (laughs) ADH7. There we go. uh, Which helps remove the intoxin chemicals that alcohol is converted to in our bodies. And they found that mammals that regularly consume fruit or nectar are more likely to have the version of ADH7 that makes them extremely efficient at processing alcohol, which includes uh, bonobos and AAs. I don't know what those are, but I'm going to Google it. I don't know what that is. AA. Also, chimpanzees, gorillas, and humans. So I guess they're all primates. Um, we share common ancestor at least 10 million years ago, long before we were fermenting beverages on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) And AA is a long-fingered lemur. Oh, how cute. Mm, They're from Madagascar. Nice. So fruit and nectar-eating bats are also efficient at processing alcohol. Um, Being inebriated would be bad news for a flying mammal. (laughs) So being able to better metabolize ethanol could be important for them. Um, And then there's natural selection. Um, In contrast, mammals whose diets generally lack fruit or nectar, like cows, horses, or elephants, are really bad at metabolizing alcohol. (laughs) 
And they, uh, because these animals lost their functioning version of that ADH7 gene. Uh, Previous studies have suggested that poor processes of alcohol, such as elephants, would never be able to consume enough fermented fruit to get drunk anyways. But the study suggests it may be possible. The 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 persistent myth of drunken elephants remains an open and tantalizing question. And a priority for future research. So, <laughs> one of my can't evens like just a few weeks ago was about drunk elephants. That is true. So it is possible. Look at that full circle. Ah, but this researcher is saying that that's a myth. Hmm. Yes. Maybe they just like to act drunk. Like they're like, "Ooh, we know this is alcohol, so we're gonna be all silly." <laughs> hey. Hey. Let me take a nap in this tea garden. <laughs> Hey, so you guys can send us your can't evens in the Facebook group, or you can email them to us at drinkandfarm.com or drinkandfarm at gmail.com um, because we like to share those on our minisodes. Yes, and be sure and leave us a review because we're going to read one of them every week uh, on the podcast, and you get entered into a drawing for an exclusive mug that is not and will never be in the shop and you want to leave those reviews over on apple podcast and international reviews are appreciated as well we have access to all of those so we read all of the reviews and you all get entered into this drawing so do you want to read our review sam um so it says drink and farm two of my favorite things ours too yeah So the review reads, my husband walked in the other day while I was listening to the show. He listened for about two minutes and said, they drink beer, have goats and chickens. They sound like your people. And they totally are. It is refreshing to find that there are farmers out there willing to admit that they don't know at all. I don't know that there has been an episode that hasn't made me laugh out loud at least once. As a stay at home homeschooling mom and farm wife this is the humorous break that i have been looking for thank you sam and bev for keeping it real and that is tonia tanya 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 i was trying to spice up your name there (laughs) (laughs) so thank you for leaving us that review um and I just realized it is May 1st, the day that this drops. So oh. we need to announce the winner for last month. Yes. So uh, drum roll, please. I can't do that. I can't roll my tongue. <laughs> I'm like useless at all the noises and sound effects and singing. <laughs> Sam has to do all of that. <laughs> uh, so the winner of the April review is... Uh, Olga. Olga noodles. Olga noodles. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I screwed this up when we read her review, and now I am on the spot, and I'm screwing it up again. So funny story. She sent me an instant message through Instagram to let me know that I pronounced it right. It should be (gasps) Olga noodles if I'm remembering right, and that it's a nickname (laughs) that she has. So it's not her name. Her name is not Olga noodles. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it'd be fine if it was, but. I feel really bad when I butcher people's names. Oh, I'm so bad at that, too. Sometimes I can, like, read off the fly and figure it out. And other times my brain is just like, what? Nah, nah, <laughs> nah. So, Olga Noodle, Noodles, since I've, 
I want to say noodles for some reason. <laughs> Bev, maybe Bev can reach out to you since she can say your nickname, right? Yes. <laughs> Get I your will address. So I'll find that message. <laughs> we'll send you your very adorable mug that nobody else can get unless they win too. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Thank you so much, guys, for leaving us reviews. We love them. They really make our day. And they do. We legit send them to each other whenever one of us sees that a new one came in. And leaving a review is a great way to support the podcast if you haven't yes. left a review yet. So. Yes, lots of heart and heart eye emojis flying around when we get those. Mm -hmm. And uh, just a few housekeeping things. Coop Camp 2020 has been moved to August 7th through 9th, and we're still planning to go. Um, And great news, there is a coupon code that you guys can use to get $25 off your registration. And that is drink ampersand farm. And you get $25 off if you've already bought your ticket and you're going because of us. I think you can just reach out to Brad or let us know and we'll see if we can work that in for you. Yeah, Brad said that they'd be happy to do that for any of our listeners. So if you already bought a ticket to Coop Camp, you can send the Coop Dreams or Coop Camp team a note and just let them know and they should refund that money. Or if you're a little hesitant to do that, you can reach out to us and we'll we'll be the middleman for that. We'll help you. Yes. We can help. <laughs> and Drink and Farm has a phone number. So give us a call and... I don't know, just chat it up to our answering machine. We're not going to answer, that's for sure. Uh, But the phone number is 401-426-FARM, F-A-R-M, which is also 401-426-3276. Tell us your farm story, your can't even, ask us a question, just chat into the void, whatever (laughs) you'd like to do. We will play those on our minisodes. Yes, and... You can also text us at that same number if you would prefer to text us your questions, your can't evens, or your farm story. Totally up to you. Just remember if you call and leave a voicemail, there is a three-minute limit. Oh, yeah. So it'll cut you off, and then you have to call back and finish what you're saying. (laughs) We'll be able to stitch them together, though. Don't worry. So hit the subscribe button and download the episode when you listen, because this helps more people like you find the podcast. And do us a favor and share this episode over on Instagram in your stories and tag at Drink and Farm. We will send you a promo code just for that episode that will give you a percentage off in our merch shop, which you want right now because our May shirt is available. (gasps) I'm dying over how amazing it is. I spent a whole afternoon painting that. Yeah. I probably should have been working, but whatever. That is an artist. (laughs) It was way more fun. (laughs) Should support her newfound watercolor painting love by buying the shirt. (laughs) Amazing. And also, um, I'll leave our Punk Rock Chickens shirt up through May 1st so that you can order them both at the same time. If you're one of those listeners that listens to this on the day it drops, you can be one of the lucky ones to get both shirts at the same time so you can save on shipping because this Punk Rock Chicken shirt has been our most popular monthly design. And it's awesome. I can totally see why. I love it. It's my favorite one so far, but this new one might be my new favorite once I get it. I think so too. And I have a sneaking suspicion that this one will be the most popular one. (laughs) 
I think it speaks greatly to our attitude and it's a nod to a very funny moment that we shared recently on the podcast. Yes. Yes, it is. So make sure that you take a look at the show notes to find links to the articles that we talked about this episode and like the step-by-step instructions and material lists for those compost bins if you're going to do something more complicated than heaping. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And there's also a survey to tell us how we're doing all of our social media goodness and a link to that merch shop so you can get our shirts of the month. So that's it, guys. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed talking about composting and all that fun stuff. Yes, yes. I enjoyed it greatly. It was so much fun. So until next time, drink, farm, and give zero clucks. Bye, guys. Bye. We drink things. We farm things. We drink and farm things.